So, hello everyone. There we are. Everything is fine today. And I hope everyone there in the audience is fine as well. We were really looking forward for that session. We have today with us Richard Donovan, a person most people uh, on LinkedIn in the software space should know. We have him here on the show and I'm pretty happy and proud of that. So, hello Richard, first of all. Hello. Great to be here. Great. Great having you. Okay. And again, with me is Camilla and Dennis. You should always already know us as a team. If not, we are here. You will know us in the next one and a half to two hours. So it's about rough to be planned for this one. And we have a little agenda as always, but the, the agenda is prior to prior one is definitely what Richard has to say and what the audience have to say about that, or just have an input. So feel free to comment to every time you can, we will show those comments on the screen so you can read about them. We will talk about those things and try to give you feedback about that, you know? Okay, so Richard, do you want to introduce yourself for the people? And there are quite a lot of people probably who, who don't know you yet. Yeah, sure. So I'm Richard Donovan. I'm the author of The Modern Software Developer. And my background is basically two, 23 years as a software developer, self-taught, no degree, and I, Work my way up to software architect for a global FTSE 100 company. And since then, I've reflected on my career, hit what some might call a midlife crisis, and decided to pivot ever so slightly based on my experience in the industry. And that was the things that I felt being super introverted, lacking support from a well being perspective. And so I'm trying to make a difference in that space for other people who are basically on that track or going through maybe some of the things that I went through. So I'm now a mindset coach for software developers and for software development teams. And this is my first LinkedIn live event. So here goes. You're doing great. Great. Dennis, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Because there are probably a lot of people from Richard now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, Life coach and technologist. So unlike agile coaches, I actually started off as an engineer, self-taught like Richard, and then went to little, little hiatus on personal development and discovered myself as a life coach, and then now merging it back together. So I, I, I'm training the tech leads primarily and the entire vertical. What makes a great team? The individuals, the skills, but also the nurture, the sort of the environment that makes a very, a very, let's say, elite performing, high performing collaborative team. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and we are excited to have you here because <laughs> always good discussions we have. This was a bit last minute because I plan to do it tomorrow with you when we are having a stream together tomorrow as well. But today you invited me and I'm very happy yeah, to do There's it. always, the reason was there's always this quarter left in the right hand <laughs> side of the screen. It doesn't look good. We need someone to fill it up. I am very happy to fill this quarter yeah. on the screen. <laughs> Camilla, introduce yourself, please. I am a software developer, actually study biology and did change careers. I work with Ajahn in the front end team and yeah, I'm happy to be here. Great. So I think we've introduced ourselves now and yes, we are talking about well-being today. So well-being, why do we talk about well-being today? Because I would like to quickly start with my ideas because I just saw a video I've, I've done quite a while ago and there I was talking about my story as a software developer and I realized that I talked quite often about depression and burnout. It is like, yeah, software development is something very special. It's a very unique thing. So it's a mix of everything and 
there is no, let's say there's no real guideline out there, like in the medical space where you have regulations, you have specific universities to go to and learn about that. But for the software developer, there is nothing like that. You can have computer science, you can go to boot camps, you can be self-taught and somehow you, you end up in, in the same area, but everything you've learned before, does it really apply to that one? And then together with that, it's so fast spinning and evolving. So software development is simply, it's different every year. For, for me, it feels like it's faster even every year. So when I compare the first 10 years of my career with those now, it's a, a world different actually. And that of course, put stress upon, you know, you need to keep up, you need to learn. Everyone have expectations of, of what you should do. Doesn't understand actually what you, what it's about, what you are doing. And um, there is what I see the biggest tension coming from where people have expectations and you need to deliver while you develop yourself, the software and the solution for the problem. So you are responsible for everything. And this is the losing control thing where you get into this depression mode or burnout. And this is my introduction for today, but what is actually well-being then for software professionals? So why are we, are we going to talk about that? Richard, can, can you take the word and, and talk a little bit about your experience and why this is a big topic uh, we should all take care of? Yeah. So I think interestingly for me, I've always been physically active. So well-being used to mean to me just physical health right and so i i've always thought yeah i've got that down i've always gone to the gym i've played football i've played squash i've done running so that's always been something that's there and actually only later in my career did i realize how much that was helping me along the way and but i wasn't doing it deliberately i i wasn't doing it for that purpose and, and I hadn't connected the dots. Reflecting more on my career and some of my challenges and trying to piece it all together um, and thinking a bit more about the mindset, about mental health and all of that kind of stuff, it realized well-being is much broader than just your physical health. And I think one of the biggest and most interesting things about well-being is that it's very individualistic. And so that that is it's good and it's bad in a, in a sense because the fact that it's so individualistic means that we can't just put a single label on it so we can't say to everyone this is well-being and you've got it or you don't and so for some people that's hard and it's complicated on the flip side it's actually really good for us because well-being means different things to different people and we decide what being means to us and that's super important. And it, you know, it touches, it's very closely linked to a big part of what we're talking about here, which is responsibility. And almost the first part of our responsibility is to define and to recognize what being means to us. And so just a broad stroke, that's your physical health, your mental health, feeling safe in the environment that you find yourself in and be feeling safe, being social with people mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, that's, that's a broad thing. And those different things mean different things to different people. And it's finding your mix of those and then branching out to the things that contribute positively to them, which 
can also be completely different for different people. So suddenly everything's grown legs and it's huge. So if it's individual, maybe let's bring it out to chat a little bit. Hello, you there? Yes, you. I know you can hear us. <laughs> I saw he was looking. He was looking. Uh, so <laughs> if you're in chat, if you can type, if you're not driving or anything, what, which part of well-being are you focusing on? Which part of well-being do you need to focus on? Which part of well-being would you like to focus on? If you're here with us live, we'd like to see your answers. If it's individual, then let's see what and, everybody and in, thinks about it. Yeah, and in general, just what does well-being mean to you? What does, yeah. Yeah. So Richard, and I think this touches on our next topic in the, in the show notes. I, I'm trying to keep it, sorry, I didn't do my homework. I'm trying to keep it very <laughs> similar here. The, the sort of overcoming resistance part regarding well-being as a software engineer, because I'm also self-taught. And I was surrounded by engineers who are also self-taught and have this hustler mentality. And very early on, let's say the first five years in my career, somewhere between age 17 to 25, 17 to 22, I met engineers who wanted a work environment that met their needs for well-being. So that they wanted to outsource their well-being because it was mostly introverts, very industrious, very hustle-oriented. Limited physical workout, limited meditation, yeah. limited headspace, perhaps neglect of romantic interests, but mostly just work. Mm -hmm. And this kind of demographic responded very well to workplaces, work environments where parts of their well-being needs were met. And that was a very difficult conversation to have because then you asked engineers what they want. And they said, Oh, well, I want to work out more and have more free time. <laughs> they never said more money. They never said more interesting, oh, <laughs> interesting projects are, are, are part of it. Like how do, how do you find this? Is this what, well, when we say being a software engineer in one sentence, is this a re work related manner? Is this our individual responsibility to bring to work? Should we expect some push pull from the fan companies in the U S I see that they recruit by saying, we care about your well-being, so we will basically give you anything from a gym to a, a kindergarten. It seems to be a popular recruitment strategy as well. What's your finding here? Is this individual, individuated, individualized? Is this work? Is this personal? How do you draw the lines here? It's, it's interesting because so we respond so much to the things that are going on around us and our environment and the other people that we work with and then the companies that we're involved with and i remember i sometimes bring some of this also back to the software developer stereotype as well and that's it's quite common that we're socially introverted and we stick our headphones on don't talk to people sit in a dark room and tap a keyboard right that's sometimes what we are to ourselves. It's sometimes what we are to other people. And I remember in my first job, I'd started as a tester. After a little while, I was a programmer and lunchtime would come around and everyone would start playing. I think it was like Counter-Strike at the time, like network games. And then I'd stand up with my gym bag and head out the office and everyone just looked at what are you doing? You're a programmer, like, wh where are you going? We play games. And so even even that early on, it, it, it could have been easy for me to actually be like, do you know what, I better put the gym aside, I better get involved in this, otherwise I'm, I'm just going to be an outcast. And I remember a conversation with, with my brother at the time, and it, it was actually around Star Wars, because that was similar. Everyone was like, Star Wars this, Star Wars that. And I was like, I've never seen it. And the disdain in the looks that I received was just... <laughs> 
like crazy. My brother was like, you better watch it. You better watch it. You're not going to fit in. And I was like, that's not, that's not how I work. Sorry. But you can see how so many people would just do that. And they would just try and conform. So then you can see that potential stereotype can just perpetuate and people can fall along with that. Now, whether well-being is about is a personal responsibility or whether it's company or whatever it is obviously a mix of the two and it's very difficult to operate a certain way if an environment is set up in a certain way what what i always say and again it comes back down to the responsibility side we are responsible for our well-being our employers aren't ideally they will They'll feel that responsibility. Ideally, they'll do things to help us. But ultimately, my responsibility, my being is my responsibility. That's about the things that I do, like going to the gym, about setting boundaries and other such things like that, but also about taking responsibility for the way that I think about the situations that I'm in, about the environments that I'm in, about the people that I'm working with. And if everyone starts with themselves, takes responsibility for themselves and how they think and how they behave, a culture can almost create itself. And you recognize the need for one, your own safety in those situations. And then if everyone recognizes that, the place becomes a safe place, right? There's definitely a combination. But you said it's an individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. Adrian and I spoke about this and we even touched on this with Camilla last week in that we keep referencing this idea that being in our teams is really important and that as a manager you would take on a role of caring for the well-being of your team members so even though it's a individual responsibility it then maybe have a not to take the responsibility away but perhaps to not hinder their ability mm -hmm. to act on enablement and without getting enablement yeah rather than being mandating it or getting in the way or preventing it or creating stigma or creating more unnecessary or accidental resistance. Exactly. That's a tricky situation because I don't think an engineering manager in my mind, if I create a stereotype, I wouldn't assume they're a very good fitness coach. Where do you draw the line for coaching versus enablement? Adrian, how do you encourage this in web bar and in other organizations? I, I once brought a pull-up bar, pull-up bar to one of our startups and we just put it up on the, uh, one of the doorways. And then when mm -hmm. we got fired, we just took it out. I, I will cheat a little bit because when I say it, it's, ah, but yeah, of course you say that, but uh, I have Camilla you know, here, there, there, <laughs> there, and she will tell about this because this is then a proof of that how she's doing the right thing now. But yes, yeah. let's hear what she has to say. Just like one little thing, I don't think that necessarily your physical health is all of your well-being. You know, it also depends on you. And I do think it's a personal responsibility. Your tech lead can only takes you to a certain degree of mm -hmm. not giving you a toxic environment, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's up to you. You also have, you know, to talk to your colleagues. How do you interact with them? How do you put boundaries on certain things? People will react to the way that you also work on yourself and this stuff. And I really think that's important. Of course, mm -hmm. I do understand the tech leagues. They do have this responsibility of like how to manage a good group. And now coming back to WebBar, like for example, I have the feeling that for us is more of a community thing, right? So we do think in, okay, if someone needs help, we will jump in. It was very nice because I was talking to a colleague yesterday who actually bought himself a pull-up bar and he was telling us about this. But regardless of this, I was talking with him and he was telling me, yeah, like when he started working, I was helping him more on the onboarding and now he knows things that I don't know. 
and he's teaching them to me, right? And we've had this really great exchange where we were very happy about having the same experience, but the other way around. And we were both very happy about this. And this type of things is something that I think that a tech lead can enable. If you really get the good mentality out of, okay, we're a group, we work in a group. Of course, you have your responsibility for yourself, but how do you interact with each other? So, yeah. yeah. So it is, as you said, there's the idea of how do you know, foster a good culture. And of course, right. the idea of well-being is a part of that. So you can't force people to the point of depression to do your things. This is industrial age. We shouldn't do this anymore. We shouldn't even think about this. So a good culture is a supportive culture, a blameless culture, and we should support each other, which means that it, it is not, we have this often that people say, yes, but you are the boss. So now I'm not the boss. I don't want to be called boss anymore because boss <laughs> implicates the alpha person and everyone else is doing what the boss is telling. And I completely disagree with that. I like the idea of being a leader and creating an environment where everyone can develop and can get better every day, does have mm -hmm. the room. And this is actually very important. And as soon as you have that as, as a you know, leadership type of person now, then the people will have the room to actually develop themselves into what they want to become on some point. And after this idea of being helpful, for example, then they know they can come to you whenever they feel the need to do so. This is the important part. So it there must there, there should be no barrier in between you as a leader and your team, and then you have this environment because it must be one team. Actually, it should only be one hierarchy and not the idea of you have multiple levels. And I heard that, I think it was Richard who told that to me, that the big problems in companies is actually this those hierarchies when you have the, let's say, as a software developer and you have um, above yourself, let's say, three levels of leadership, then it's easy to get the feeling or the notion of being out of control because no matter what you do, there's too much in between the persons who really mm -hmm. decide your fate. Is it correct? How, how I put it, uh, Roger? Yeah, just, I guess, just to add a bit more context around that. I think a few times I've been in a position where my, my managers or, or my leaders have been to, to what I understand to be really good leaders. They mm -hmm. give autonomy to the teams. They trusted developers to do the right thing and all the things that we think about with really good leadership but actually what i found is that there were a few levels higher up there were people that maybe didn't see the development teams in the same light they didn't see them as maybe contributing to the business the way my manager and his manager did and i don't know if this was like maybe an issue with communication as part of that as part of that company or whatever but it became quite apparent that although we were trying to achieve certain things and my managers and his manager were saying the right things and trying to push us in the right direction, it was clear that the people above them didn't see that. And so being down here, I got very disenchanted with that because I'm hearing things that kind of align with what I want to hear, all the while not seeing any progress and feeling like, it's not going to be made because I know that the ultimate person who has the decision is not going to let that happen. And that's really conflicting. And I think that contributes to something around, around personal values and trying to, to weigh up what that means to be in that position. And to be quite honest, it was definitely a contributing factor to me moving on a couple of occasions. It does sound like that can 
negatively affect your mindset. Am I in control of my faith? Am I gonna, because there, there seems to be this sort of pervasiveness to the, if I'm sacrificing a lot or contributing and I'm being burnt out, is this being valued? Because there's nothing worse than sacrificing something and really pushing through on a project to then not have that value, to then go beyond that. Not only did I just spend the battery, but I'm now also self-inflicting pain because I expected some recognition for it. And if it doesn't come, it just makes the problem so much worse. And, and, you, and, you, and you touched on the kind of control word. And obviously that's also like a huge, a huge factor. And it's a huge reason why I put so much emphasis on the individual responsibility because right. in that environment, I wasn't in control. Yeah. I was in control of what I thought of the situation, how I behaved when I turned up. And ultimately at the, at the point that I decided I was in control that I didn't want to be there and I had to move. Yeah. And, it was and, very strong. and that was all for, yeah. And that was all for me to do. No one was going to yeah. do that for me. And if I don't do that and I can't, facilitate change in that business then i'm just stuck i've got no control i turn up everyone's controlling my fate and my environment and how i feel and for me that is a really big contributing factor to burnout i've got no control everyone's taking control of everything i can't do anything i'm here i'm stuck i'm turning up every day what am i getting out of it and it, it becomes a vicious cycle i think when I'm coaching teams, I often do a little temperature check every now and then for burnout or just overwhelm or just any kind of form of apathy or lethargy, anything that is extremely pervasive and individuated down so that somebody is blaming, somebody is blaming themselves for the state of things as they are, usually project related or lack of praise related. And one of the things that often come up is that they are powerless by virtue of having given their power away by accepting some self self-imposed limitation by playing, accepting a sort of completely artificial synthetic hierarchy and putting themselves at the bottom where it's, oh, I don't have to accept responsibility if I admit to myself that I am the lesser decision maker here, right? Mm -hmm. So they're playing this mindset trick game with them where I can get the positive side, but avoid the negative side. Mm -hmm. If I create a hierarchy, I, I create an incentive to feel my positive and the negative polarities of my well-being differently. But it's, it's a leadership part. problem, I would say. When, when a leader is creating is. A, a, an elitist level within the team, then, the, then some people may not feel like a part of that one and mm -hmm. will degrade themselves. And this is something you should avoid as a leader, I, I think. So, so yeah. you should be aware of those things. Yeah, we have a good yeah. comment. A very good comment, actually. Yeah. Hello. There you go. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the comment is, I agree that it's better for people. <laughs> exactly. So um, I agree that it's better for people not to view the team as a hierarchy of bosses and employees, but as teammates. How can we handle when there are situations in which there are obvious opposite interests between the employees and the roles that manage people and need to take into account the company's interests? Performance reviews, layoff, or salary revisions. It's it, it's an inter it's an interesting combination. If the company and the employees have opposite interests, ideally that should never really be the case, right? And I suppose there are many ways in which you can find yourself in that situation. But let's simplify. Let's say senior management wants outcomes, roadmap, results, 
mm-hmm. revenue. And then the first line managers, they say, oh, in order for us to get that, we need to prioritize well-being. Let's say that's a situation where the priorities are not quite articulated in alignment. They, all, they want the same thing, but they're mixing egg and chicken. Because with well-being, and Camilla, you mentioned this idea of a toxic environment. Because yeah. I, I always keep thinking about this. Is that a leading or a lagging indicator? Is the environment toxic because everybody's neglecting their well-being? Or is the environment toxic because I'm being prevented from being able to take care of my well-being? Or did I make the environment toxic by bringing my, let's say, my problems to the workspace? So it, it is... It, I'm always finding it curious to have this sort of philosophical question of are we causing this or are we the product of our of this environment? And what is the sort of lever here? What is the cycle mechanism? That, that's culture. The loop itself, that's culture. Yeah. But how do you make a change in this loop? So let's say if this is the loop, somebody said, oh, the Dora metric said we need to focus on well-being and collaboration. What's, what's something practical? Yeah, I think there's, there's a fairly common situation around that where and and i see this a lot in 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 businesses where they put their leadership teams for example through management training or potentially even mindset coaching or mindset training and they cross their fingers and think oh the leaders know or the management know so that's gonna ripple down and everyone's gonna be awesome now and that never happens one of the things that i'm trying to do is bring that sort of level of training, education around mindset, leadership, a level deeper to the developers, to the people who are actually doing the work. And it it does towards that question in which what that does is it gives the senior people and the people on the ground, if you like, a ubiquitous language. So they can talk about how they're feeling or what they're thinking and understand each other. And I think that's one of the biggest things that doesn't happen. They can't really communicate very well or they, they're not understanding each other when they have their issues. And I think a lot of that is providing that education, providing that training, offering support around coaching and that kind of thing. And that really, I think that really makes a difference around things like in that comment, performance reviews, layoffs, salary revisions, those things in and of themselves are pretty stressful, mm-hmm. not just for the, for the people that they impact, but even the people delivering them. And to be able to have a conversation there where both people understand what is being said and how they're feeling and how they might manage that is is super, super important. And if the team as a whole and the leaders as well can recognize the potential stress in those situations, it, it's going to make it's going to make a big difference to to everyone involved. Shall we look at some yes. other comments? Wow. Um, yes, I, I, I wanted just to say that the, the last thing you said is very important. When you get into let's say circumstantial stressful situations, layoffs, crisis, and any form of something which is changing the environment in which you are by force from outside, um, those things can be stressful for both sides. So people often think that. It is, it is not a deal at all for employers to be in that. So mm-hmm. just getting away from people. But, but, but the thing is, the more we, we move towards, let's say, a very, let's say this supportive culture, a good culture, the closer you get as a leadership person to the people, you actually become one of them. You see yourself as one of them. And this makes it quite hard, actually, to make decisions. So it makes it harder mm-hmm. for you as a leadership person 
to actually make decisions in that area. Just wanted to say that to, for, for the understanding of everyone. It was different in, in, in the past and in mo many companies, it's still the case that people get fired and the people deciding that don't even know the people who got fired. But this isn't, especially in the small to medium-sized business area, this isn't the case anymore. Just wanted to say that. Okay, I would say let's go to another comment. Yes, I think there is one here. Actually, regarding the question, what can you do and what do you feel like? I, Jose is saying she would like to, he would like to learn about strategies to avoid and deal with burnout and stress from work as a tech professional. And I think this is a very good introduction to tips and things that we can actually do as the developers or coaches. What can we do in our daily lives to actually put our effort into this? This is already a cure, Richard, on, on the axis of prevention versus curative effects, short-term, long-term. This seems to be on the sort of short-term curative spectrum. Is it a mix? What do you do for maintenance versus what do you do for like a save this team exercise? How do you think about this? Like large, what are the low effort, high effort, prevention, short-term, long-term? What's the best way to know? I, mean, I think... And I think they're ultimately, they're quite, they are quite similar things, but there are just some small individual things. Some of the individual things we do can also be done as a team and, and also sharing some of the individual things with your team can help as well. But I think first and foremost, being, being able to talk about your situation, just, just talking about it, accepting that you're heading in a direction mm -hmm. that isn't going to be great for you and seeking that support. Now, whether that's other colleagues, whether that's your manager, a coach, a family member, whatever it is, have someone to be, to just be able to talk to about it. And it just, it, it takes a weight off and what that allows you to do when you can do that and you can just get a sense of, it just gives you a bit of space. Yeah, it just gives you a bit of space to actually think instead of just being like so reactive in your head, this is happening, I'd, right. I'd, I don't know how to stop, right? And so you create that bit of space and then we start to think about what can you do to e either prevent it and or stop it. They are, they are similar, but setting boundaries straight off the bat and from a prevention perspective, setting expectations particularly when you start a new job, actually, if you can set an expectation about who you are, what you're about, what is important to you straight off the bat, that goes a hell of a long way. And what I see is a lot of people, they go into a new role and they want to impress. Of course they do. And they go above and beyond and they work out of hours and they push. And suddenly that's what everyone else is expecting from them. Mm -hmm. Not just because they've just joined, not just because they're getting up to speed, but because that's, that just becomes the expected. And then they end up in that cycle, right? So mm -hmm. setting those boundaries, highlighting what's important, regular exercise. Yes, uh -huh. physical health isn't everything, but we know that exercise has such a, a massive impact on your physical health and your mental health. It can be a, a release of stress. Go on, Adrian. We had act, we were actually at point one of the agenda, no point two, which is resistance, overcoming resistance. And you said now you should go for reg, for regular exercises. And I think regular exercises and resistance, let's say not best friends, 
but they are in the same room every day when you are in the room. Can you maybe combine that a little bit? You said it in a very positive way, but mm -hmm. let's be honest. Why are you a coach for this? There is this resistance. Can you maybe bridge this a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Thinking about that resistance, whether it's exercise or whether it's even well-being as a whole, we already talked about the software developer stereotype, mm -hmm. and that stereotype for a lot of people, whether they even mean it to or not, seeps into effectively their identity. And their self-image. Yeah, and that identity or that self-image then creeps into other areas of life, for example, exercise. And, and suddenly someone's telling themselves, eh, I'm a software developer. Software developers don't do exercise. I, I see all these people who they sit at their desks eight hours, 12 hours a day. Like they're, they're not going out to the gym. They're not going mm -hmm. for walks. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. That's who I am. So that's how I'm going to behave. So we, we've got a little bit of that kind of social pull, social norm. And a lot of people don't do exercise because of potentially their own environment that they find <laughs> themselves in. Um, they'll come up with excuses around the weather. Oh, look, it's a bit dark yeah. outside. Oh, look, it's raining. <laughs> I'm sitting on a nice warm sofa. This is so much better than exercising. I, I don't really need to do There's that. There's a reliable voice in your head that's coming up. <laughs> yeah, and... And it's, we, in isolation, I'm sure everyone's done that. I've done that before, as much as it pains me to admit, but I, I've not gone for a run because I've looked outside and it's been a bit windy and a bit rainy, mm -hmm. but that's a very rare, rare occasion for me. Many people get into those kind of habits and mm -hmm. they get into those thinking habits. And Adrian, you touched on it there. You've got this little voice in your head and this little voice is, ah, you don't need to do that. It's, but it's, it's nice convincing here. Yeah, it's oh, that's horrible out there. Nice here, and and that that becomes so habitual that so many of us don't even recognise it. And just thinking about self-talk, that self-talk impacts not just your whether you're going to go and exercise or whether you're going to learn or how you think about yourself, whether you feel like you're capable, and all of those things. And some people don't even realize it's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I always say there's two types of people in this world. There's the people who talk to themselves and then there's the people who don't realize they talk to themselves. <laughs> but that voice is always there. And mm -hmm. sometimes it comes out aud like audibly out of your mouth into the room and other mm -hmm. times it's just up here and really but gaining not, awareness of that. You have that basically every day. For example, you are very motivated talking in the evening about what you do next day. Then you go to bed and you stand up. Yeah, the motivation is gone, but this voice is there. And this is basically every time the same. It is very reliable. This voice will be there. And in that moment, this voice is trying to, to convince you to not do what's really necessary to do, which is often what you are most afraid of, or what you feel most resistance for, it's actually what you should do in that moment. And learning that is, it's actually, this is what people actually mean with developing your mindset. So it's not like you have a, like a DevOps mindset or something like that. It is like you have a mindset, mindset is a personal thing. Mm -hmm. It's how your mind is wired in such a moment when you encounter resistance. So resistance versus demuse. So which you pick, are you, are you disciplined enough to, even when no one is looking at you, there's no one in the room except no one will notice 
if you don't go outside now and go for a walk, no one mm -hmm. will notice. Will you still do it or, or will you find reasons to not do it? And of course, it's easier when others are there. You are in a group. You have this form of group pressure and everyone is going. Then yeah. you, of course, go with them. But it's about discipline. It's about when you are alone with, your, with yourself alone. And this just defines your future. So in my own experience, it defined my future. So in my past, discipline wasn't the highest priority. It wasn't a big thing for me. So I was an enthusiast. So some days I was really putting everything into one idea and then I forgot it again. So mm -hmm. my things were not long-term. I was only a short-term person. And over time I developed, especially in the last five years, especially when I got a family, kids. So when time was not plenty anymore, mm -hmm. then you need to, if you want to do something, then you definitely need to have some discipline, but it's definitely better to do that by yourself when you have the time. This is definitely, so I was late in my life developing discipline. I really have to admit that. Same. I, I just recently started working out regularly, especially now with the kids, M made it my focus to take care of myself a little bit more, especially since I have a tendency to have like extreme work sprints throughout a year. Like I, I do over one or two big intensity projects because I, I seem to respond well to that cadence. But from what you're saying, it seems like that, that there is no action to be taken unless you inspire some level of introspection or soul searching. Like that, that seems to come first. Yeah. So again, just maybe just going back to what's his comment about strategies and, and what kind of, and that yeah. kind of thing. Obviously, burnout in general is a huge accumulation of stress over time, and mm -hmm. and it becomes too much. And stress in itself is accumulative right so mm -hmm. it's not just oh i've had this really stressful situation it's i've had all of these little bits of stress some of them are yeah. tiny some of them are huge and i'd use the analogy of just like having a bucket and it's getting filled up with all of these things big things small things and you could have a really big thing that takes up a lot of space in that bucket but you've handled it pretty well it's still taking up the space and you could get later in the day and a small thing could just come in and tip you over the edge and yeah. you're like why oh god why did that set me off like I, I can deal with these big things and i think that again just touching on the resistance like it's these ideas that productivity is about just constantly going at it spending time and constantly working yeah and, yeah exactly exactly hustling and I, I think i put a comment to it was either today or yesterday on a LinkedIn post. And it was about recognizing the fact that sort of exercise, rest, restoration, taking breaks, like these things yeah. are active ingredients in mm -hmm. productivity. It's not a luxury. Mm -hmm. it, uh, I hear people talking about like working up to burnout and then taking a break and then mm -hmm. going again. Yeah. And it's, that's not the goal. You don't ever want to get to burnout. And it's not an achievement. It's not a good thing to say I've it's worked so hard I've got to burn yeah a trauma. Burnout. it's a trauma it not a badge the badge is succeeding moving forward and never approaching burnout because mm -hmm. the active ingredients are taking breaks and resting meditating whatever it is that you need to just put a halt to some of that stress and break it up instead of keeping yeah. it constant right however the one of the one of the sort of, I don't even know how to articulate this. I'd say the, the general advice, the, the, the conservative advice for a well-balanced life is diligent hard work and being of service. And 
a inspired or a benevolent kind of collaboration rather than hustling. But that seems to be a very fine line between mm. just a good day's hard work versus yes. I'm working to the max. It's, it seems like you can go, okay, not enough. Ah, too much. <laughs> and there was an optimal, like a really small sweet spot for optimum. So, so is that, is that a muscle that you can build? Is the problem that being makes that sweet spot narrower or does it just move it to the left or to the right? What, what's, how much of this is actually just DNA and how much of it is actually environment focused, mindset focused? <laughs> Are you supposed to build more resistance by making yourself be more enduring? Or should you make yourself uh, not drain the battery and treat myself like, like my energy levels, like I would my iPhone battery. I don't want to burn it all the way to zero and I don't want to charge it up all the way to a hundred. <laughs> what is a useful metaphor for people who, because this, this is very unintuitive because this is not a linear problem. If I work zero hours and one hours and two hours, there seems to be a linear effect. But the more I get to that sort of six to four hour range, it's still a linear scale, but it, it had like tremendous negative long-term consequences on, on your body and your mental well-being so how do you navigate this and how do you explore this maybe people are just burning out while they're exploring how they deal with burnout so is this something to be avoided or is it just to be done yes encouraged but done so in a way that you learn from it because i would say burnout no problem we all burned out here but we learned something from it so i wouldn't take away the lesson of burnout from someone what I would encourage them is to not repeatedly get burnt out and not learn anything from that. So that this seems to be like a very I, precarious sort of... Yeah, I, I would say that I've burnt out, but I would say that I wouldn't burn out now. I knew what I know now, I wouldn't have burnt out. And that's about, uh, there's quite a lot of self-awareness in there, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. again, accepting that active ingredients and in productivity are rest. Mm -hmm. It just is like in the physical world, for athletes, they can overtrain. They can do too much, and that results in a lack of motivation and, yeah, getting tired, fatigued, and injury. Guess what? That's basically burnout, but it's just mm. a, it's just a, a completely physical manifestation of it. And mm. what, so what do they do? They have rest days. They do mm. things to recuperate, and that's how they perform at their best. Just make sure my machine monitor doesn't turn off. That's how they make sure they perform at their best and that's just the same for us in a given day a given week a given month it's not let's see how long i can go at this thing and do something until i feel like i need to rest no it's let's get a get some efficient work done let's get some good work done and rest reset do something a little bit different and now let's go again and now let's go again and what that means for the longevity is just that you just go and go for longer. And the alternative is that you go, you burn out. And the problem is burnout is, is different for different people. And for some yeah. people, that means two days of rest. For other people, they don't get back to themselves for weeks yeah. or months. And that's the issue. And just very quickly as well, I read a comment the other day where someone said they felt guilty that they took a day off because they hadn't, they knew they could see burnout coming, but they hadn't burned out yet. And okay. they felt guilty about taking oh, a day off. And I was like, yeah, you, you mustn't feel guilty for that. That's an active part of you being productive. We had a, yeah. we had a situation, we had a situation this week in one of the teams I coach in that we finally got them to deliver sooner, but they didn't have a muscle. They didn't have a 
sort of trained response on what to do when they finish early in the project. So the, the, the first thing they went to is feeling guilty for not knowing what to do next. So they, it was a good thing that happened, but they immediately went to the punish, to the sort of, I'm not good enough cycle back to the, okay, so we should have thought about what to do if we finish early, because usually we have a plan B for what happens if we're late. But this is related to the pressure culture where every, every good... CEO wants to have everyone at, at 110% of workloads uh, and, for and, and you know, for business, not yeah, for, for outcome. Yeah. yeah. The problem is this is an illusion. So this doesn't work and this doesn't add to long-term sustainability right. as Richard just described. And it's like over time when you understand burnout, when you have a burnout, when you understand resistance, when you can smell it from far away, then of course you can handle that stress a little bit better over time. But mm -hmm. especially in the first years, you, you get out of school or from college or for whatever, and then you suddenly get into such an environment. This is a high contrast and this yeah. is dangerous mm -hmm. because you cannot handle this form of stress yet. So most yeah. people can't. And so there I have maybe a last question before we get to the next comment is to all of you. Do you need to get burnout once in order to understand burnout, Ray? Richard is... <laughs> yeah, go Richard. <laughs> I, I, I completely understand how it comes about. But for me, I think it, the reason it comes about is because of either a lack of awareness or a lack of education around mm -hmm. what it means to be productive. As I just said to Dennis, knowing what I know now, I'm not going to burn out provided I'm do the things that I know yep. are good for me. And it's the not knowing that, that makes people burn out. If they're never exposed to that, then you can see how that, what that works, right? Mm -hmm. They, they go through it, they do it. And, and then they maybe do some more reading and, and look up what's happening and they get education that way. Yeah. So if they don't get exposed to that message, if, if they don't realize that, then yes they probably do need to burn out to learn from that. But I do believe that we can know, we can educate people about yeah. ways in which you don't have to do that. Okay. I, mean, I think burning out is so easy that you don't have to encourage anybody to go and experience it. I don't think anybody's. <laughs> this is my problem with burnout. Um, as, as Richard was telling, some are, some don't have a big problem with the consequences of burnout, others have. And in my opinion, or when, when I faced a burnout, for me, it was like a trauma because you, I could remember the negative effects because normally in life, you cannot remember negative effects long-term if they were not like a traumatic um, experience and a burnout is. So a real burnout is something because you feel out of control and feeling out of control, especially for an entrepreneur or a leadership person who is liable for things is a bad situation. And you remember, this is a trauma. I was thinking about quite a lot. So this was the reason why I asked the question. So I only learned it after. So in, in mm -hmm. hindsight, after the burnout. Nobody so, prepared you. Nobody gave you a... People, by the tried, way, people by told the way, me to yes, make... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, this is a burnout-prone industry. Here's a handbook. <laughs> yeah, but I was always smarter than everyone else. Yeah. And afterwards, I was yeah. as smart as the others. But it took me a time to do that. And yes, so I think everyone is different there. Camila, you wanted to say something? Yeah, but it's a bit regarding actually like what Richard was saying before about taking a break in general and accepting mm -hmm. this as something necessary. Actually, like I went last month into really a phase that I was like, okay, I feel a bit odd. I feel a bit odd. I don't know what's happening. And then I realized most of these things was actually my nervous system that was not correctly regulated. 
And this is something that happens. Like when you're going into burnout, I'm not saying I was going to burnout, but let's say you have a very stressful moment in your life. You don't know what's happening. You you're conscious about a lot of things. You work on your limiting beliefs. You check that you are have, I don't know, a good environment, a good routine. And nonetheless, some things are not fitting in. Mm-hmm. I think you should definitely check also your nervous system. And this is very important. And I know I'm being a bit like kind of biology to this because it is important. But the thing is, there are so many things that we can do and getting out of this fight or flight mode requires you to rest. You need Mm -hmm. to rest and you need to learn what rest means for you. Okay. Rest for me might mean, I don't know. I just want to take a nap for other people. Resting means going for a run. It doesn't matter. You need to get to know yourself in that sense and knowing what actually rest means for you. And there many techniques about this and if i can recommend something that is amazing is this one podcaster his name is andrew huberman he talks a lot about like he's a neuroscientist he talks a lot about like biology and how to implement protocols of well-being he's amazing he's great you don't need to know anything about biology to understand what he's saying and he will get you there to that point Mm -hmm. that you understand complex biochem stuff and actually he talks about this thing and he talks about like different breathing techniques that you can do when to rest and how to sleep like proper sleep is something that is really good for you and i know it's weird to say this for someone that has twins right now and can sleep in a couple of weeks but in the end even if you nap you need to learn how to nap properly Mm -hmm. because if those are the only hours that you're getting then you better get the best out of this. And there's several protocols and several things you can do with this. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's not about you and you're not putting the effort and you're not doing enough. Sometimes it's your nervous system and you need to regulate it. So this is something that is also important to just take into account when you're talking about all of these things. I, I do follow. <laughs> we do a lot with, uh, in, with my wife together with the micronutrients. Uh, this helps us a lot. We discovered that late. But that's actually yeah. a big factor because the stuff we eat Normally when you don't have much time, it's basically garbage. So no matter if you buy it somewhere, if it's, there's not much good stuff out there anymore. And that really helped a lot. I really can say you don't have headaches anymore, all this kind of stuff, which always points that you have as your body, your nervous system cannot regulate anymore. This is what just yeah. I said. Yes. So I can relate to that. But now, since we have already first hour over, I would get to the next comment now. So Grant Mill, hello Grant, nice to see you. We have met a while ago on LinkedIn uh, or connected and you are participating here now. Thank you for that. And we have a question here. I think a lot of companies are frustrated by being promised innovation, but never have the resources to get things done. It can lead to tier two, to a two tier system with shadow IT and IT at the comparison between very different teams and products. Agile would say teams should be self-organized, but when mm-hmm. the company starts, Dictating methods, it's going to lead to stress because it leads to conflict. So this is now a very, let's say it's a basically a, a technical question, more technical question uh, in, in this in the software space, which is in, 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 in contrast now. What, what is your idea, guys, when you when you when you really listen to uh, or reading to that? I keep seeing that word done. And Richard, you mentioned it just now on your reply to the previous comment. You said something that I have in my mind. It's important that you rest once you're done. Now, I know that Angel and Ricardo, who are also with us live here, they're from the game dev industry. And they are notorious for having very long crunch modes incorporated into a normal roadmap. They have a very fuzzy definition of done. Done is at some point after launch. And the, the, the software industry, I would say, the software processes, especially in less mature environments, are notoriously struggling with being done with stuff. 
So it's easy to say, yeah, I will rest when I'm done. It's just that I'm not done and I'm never done. And we have a culture of never being done with something. And, and I see that quite often in, in, in <laughs> engineering organizations that are prone to burnout. So how, how do you handle, you say, okay, rest when you're done. But it seems that that's not enough for somebody who is in that hustle mode, um, this uh, promised uh, innov- uh, not enough resources to get things done. If I interrupt myself to have more productivity, it might seem short term that I will have even less resources because I'm spending some of those resources on rest if I'm resting during, during work. If I'm not resting during work and I allow work to expand beyond its eight hour boundaries, then I also might not have time to rest while I'm not at work. And so that then this definition of done gets murky. How do you navigate a landscape like this? Like, do you just do a hard stop? Like, do you interrupt? Do you have like yoga sessions midway through the day? Like, how extreme would you recommend somebody goes on nurturing their well being actively to have an active component on the workplace itself? How would you incorporate that? So, I think just to pick up on, on what you said there about resting when you're done, I, I don't think that that's not my message at all. Okay. So, like, my message is rest is an active ingredient in whatever you're doing and again yes it's different for different people so someone might be able to maintain an hour full-on concentration full-on focus and then they start to maybe lose a little bit Mm -hmm. someone else might be able to do that for two hours maybe three hours just lose their edge what they they probably can't do is eight hours six hours but they'll convince themselves they can Mm -hmm. so my, my biggest point is that it's not that you can't do it for that amount of time the point is you're nowhere near as productive as you think you are you're not you think you're working hard and you think you're working well but you're not working efficiently and so when we think about oh but i'll just keep throwing time at this thing Mm -hmm. that's it it doesn't really work like that You're, you're not working as to use your kind of battery analogy if you think about your efficiency or how effective you are like that percentage is coming down the longer you're working on something or like a combustion engine like a combustion engine has a fuel efficient range at a very particular speed yeah right so- yeah and yeah and i i do like your i do like your kind of battery analogy you're you have maybe there's a percentage which is your optimal percentage and that might be 70 percent and yeah, okay, you recharge and you can go and go and go and it's all going great. And you get around 70, 65%. And then if you want to keep being optimal, you need to do something then. You don't yeah. get down to 30% or 20% yeah. and then go, oh yeah, I must recharge. Not if you want to be optimal, but so you can. You how can do you incorporate do that into the work day? So just work as, as an individual, for example, yeah. doing things like, the Pomodoro technique, which, okay. which I use. Describe it real quick for the viewers who are not familiar with them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the Pomodoro technique is, is effectively just like chunking up, I'd say your attention rather than tasks, because it, you could be working on the same task, but what you effectively do is say, okay, I'm going to work for X amount of time. And when that time's up, I'm going to have a break for X amount of time. Now the, the standard is like 25 minutes, but 25 and five, again, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you might do 30 or you might do 40 minutes and you might do 10 or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so you'll find something that works for you, but just having that there and having those regular breaks and having that nudge to go, okay, reset, walk away, stand up, get some fresh mm-hmm. air, whatever it is, yeah. just allows you to reset. And then you go back at it and you just feel that little bit fresher. And having that throughout your day, one, from a mental 
perspective is super useful. But even from a physical perspective, if during that five or 10 minute break, you actually stand up because mm -hmm. just sitting here for eight hours straight is absolutely awful for your, for your physical health. Um, going back to the question around companies being promised innovation and not having enough resources, for me, that it, it's a failure in leadership. It's, it's a failure in leadership of that company. And I've seen it again and again, and it's absolutely right that it's to stress and it leads to conflict. And that... I would know, even go beyond and say it's, it's a problem of business, then leadership, then down to the operational levels. It's basically a fundamental problem with the entire idea of the company. So when everything is already, let's say, frameworked, for the impossible. So when your, let's say your CEO is telling you or gathering everyone and telling, Hey guys, everyone, we need to do the impossible. Then, you know, this company is a bad one because you can't do the impossible. The impossible is impossible. And this is the problem. You, you are pre predestined to run into burnout in that situation because you can't do else. So you can try to, but this will cost you that much that you actually, you will run into a form of depression the one way or the other. So there is no way around it. This is a form of survival mode before you have started. So think twice about if you want to be in that kind of company. This is what I can say about that. Yeah, especially about the, the company dictating methods as well. We're revisiting the sense of not being in control and yeah. there's, there's nothing worse like as a software development team, how to build software works. And then someone comes along and is like, are you doing it like this? It's like, mm -hmm. you, you then get that internal struggle. You're like, that's really not the best way to do this or the most efficient or even yeah. the best way to get it done. But someone's coming along and they're like, yeah, you're doing it like this. That's not a nice place to be. And yeah, definitely a con contributing factor to burnout for sure. That's for an individual. So we, we are now in, let's say in a meeting for 70 minutes, 75 minutes, would you have done anything differently? And I know it's your first time on LinkedIn, it's our first time meeting together as well. But if, if this was a recording meeting, would you go to the extent of maybe breaking up this meeting or having an exercise moment or having like a five minute break in minutes in? Because I think people treat meetings and collaborative and even pair programming as this sort of, I don't want to waste the other person's time. So rest will be when where the meeting's done. But if the meeting is open-ended or like it takes 90 minutes, would you incorporate rest into any activity? Like, oh, how would you go about this benevolently? Yeah, yeah, no, I would do. If, if I felt that the meeting I was booking, it was going to cross a particular threshold or whatever, and mm -hmm. I definitely recommend just falling away, go and have a coffee, just take five minutes, come back. And I also think that adds to the meeting. Whenever I've seen that done before, people come back and it's, it's mm -hmm. just renewed energy. They compress a little bit and sort of do yeah. a mini recharge. Okay. And what so tends to happen, what tends to happen, this is slightly different because it's obviously a, a subject that we're all quite <laughs> passionate about. So, you know, you can get a bit worked up about it and that's fine. But let's be honest, not all meetings like this happen during the day. And some of us are just sitting there going, come but on. That's a good point because software engineers are very passionate about coding. So that they might think, oh, I'm not going to take a break because I'm really passionate about this. And you just code and code and that's really hard. And that's another interesting, it's a really interesting point because I hear it a lot that some people are a bit like, ah, do you know what? Burnout doesn't really apply to me because I love coding. Yeah. yeah. So I can, just, <laughs> I can just code five days a week and then all weekend. Oh, okay. And then go back to it again and carry on. Get, 
it's great. It's great, right? It's it's great to be passionate about something. It's great to like really enjoy doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But for me, it doesn't. It's not a free ticket. It's it's not something no. that allows you to not burn out. It still no. comes back to the fact that those active ingredients in productivity and performance are still rest. They still need to be. They still need to be done. And I, yeah, I. I, I do guess your motivation more. drops a little bit. You fall into a hole, actually. And, and you just realize how much of the reserves of your mind and body are actually depleted. And this is when you realize it. And Dennis was saying that in the beginning that you do, and suddenly you are realize you're in a burnout. No, it's not suddenly, you just realize it suddenly. And this right. is, you can combine those two ideas, right? You don't, so it is the same if you are wounded and you're running outside, doing a lot of some stuff outside, then you injure yourself. And after one minute, you just realize it. It took one minute. You could you know, walk on before you, you just realize that you're actually bleeding because you have you had enough yeah. stress hormones in your body, in your veins, let's say, that, you, that, that it was okay to carry on for a bit. And then suddenly everything... I had that once when I, as a child, when I broke my arm, I was just standing up and doing... You're in shock, just, yeah. Yeah, I, I was in shock. I just went on yeah. and people were looking at me and my arm was... But it's a circle. fight or flight response, right? That, exactly. I saw it and then fell down. And this is the same with burnout. I think what's in what's interesting about what you said, Dennis, and, and it's probably a really important point that didn't really come out. And that is that I, I think when you're really passionate about it and you really love coding and so you feel like it doesn't apply to you, I think what that does is it allows you to go for longer without feeling those effects. But what that actually means is that you get deeper. So when it does happen, it's a lot worse. It's a great and, contrast. Great contrast. And so then, yeah. yeah. So then, when you lose that motivation, it's also even worse because you're losing the motivation for something you're really passionate about and you really love. If, yeah. In contrast, if you're doing something that you're you're not that bothered about, but you realise you have to do, and you're under pressure to get it done, yeah, okay, you're going to have the same impact, but you're actually going to reach a realization a lot earlier and. If you do get a little bit of lack of motivation, it's lack of motivation for something you don't really want to do anyway. So it, there's less of an impact. So actually, when you're really passionate, there's potential for it to have a bigger impact on you. Mm-hmm. I just want to connect the dots here because we, we were talking about the individual, but then we had questions about the team. And also, I don't know who this is, it's anonymous, but this comment, it's like developing the discipline is very hard to do yourself. And then just nurture relationship here with your other team members. Like how do you balance this? If one person is really passionate and focusing on just, they have a, one person takes care of themselves and they are collaborating with somebody who they suspect might be burnt out, right? So that, that there's an imbalance between the team members. So like how, how would you, what, what would you recommend to be done here by each party or by the leader of this team to get to not make it worse. And then the next step being to also help improve. Because it's easy to say, everybody's okay, everybody's burnt out. Everybody's okay, business as usual, take breaks. And then when everybody's burnt out, okay, everybody on vacation. But this becomes a really complex problem when everybody's burnt out and feeling okay out of sync with each other. So that we don't use the weekend for it, but it is actually so stressful that the burnout happens like midway through the week or midway through the day. Maybe every Monday is like a really stressful meeting. And then it did. When, when I look at metrics from teams, I see dips. 
of patterns of, oh, the team is just done <laughs> between Wednesday and Friday, and there's something weird happening Monday morning, right? There are patterns to the well-being, let's say, or the, at least the effects that the team's being or the battery levels have on their actual productivity metrics, the level of collaboration, maybe the quality, I can't check with data, but I can check frequency, I can check collaboration, I can check communication. So how to do it in a more complex environment where it's just, it's not you alone, but also a team, they're on different stages of this. Yeah, that's, that's, it's difficult to just go into somewhere and spot that and make yeah. a change right there and then. But yeah. it's not acute, what, it's just something recurring. Yeah, out of what I try to do is, again, impact the leadership, mm -hmm. instill things like, I, I do it individually, so I define my own personal core values. I like to do that for a team as well and have everyone contribute to what the values of the team are. And it's, you basically go through a process of, again, what I effectively do for myself, for the team, and you can create like a charter that everyone signs up to. And that's about ways of treating each other and things that we don't put up with, or we do put up with, or we encourage or we discourage and all of those things. And you're absolutely right. It comes back to the world being so individual, individualistic. We can't expect everyone to just be here or just be here. It's going to be like this all the time. But when you create that environment and again, that ubiquitous language, so people can communicate how they're feeling, what they're thinking and feel safe and they know what's expected with regards to the values that have been created, it becomes much easier for people to share what they're feeling and even for other people to talk to them and approach them because it's in line with the values of the team. So you can have that conversation in a capacity where you're like, hey, do you know what? I really feel like you've not been yourself recently. You've not had the usual energy that you bring to these meetings. Is, is there anything going on? Whereas in, in in a team where you don't have those values, you don't have all of that stuff, asking someone that question, they might get really offended. And they might be like, well, what do you mean? Duh. And uh, oh, oh, and again, it's about creating that culture and, and, and impacting leadership and facilitating those potential conversations. Really. And what I can add is I always love to say when, when you're creating teams as a team leader, as a leader in general, I always focus on the average. It's not what you should do is saying, oh, the higher management or the business is telling you we need to really do performance now. So I basically set the bar at the, the best people, the best uh, efficiency, all this kind of stuff, because people cannot keep up all the time to that level. And you need to do something in, in the middle, something average. And this is this is always the best to do, which is then easier for the people to say, okay, I'm only need to perform in average, but every day I need to do that every day. I need to find ways to perform average every day, which is way more easy than to perform like an elitist every day. It's, it's simply not possible. You cannot give every day 100%. So even if this is uh, basically a phrase we often use, you need to give 110% and others say, oh, you can only give 100%. No, you cannot give 100% every day. Or other, you need to define what 100% is. If it's only the average, then it's okay. When 100% is a realistic target for everyone every day with all fluctuations we have. Sometimes we are sick. Sometimes we haven't slept well. Sometimes we something happens in our life. Something bad happened. We cannot concentrate on work. 
And when someone forces us then to do the best we possibly can in that moment, that's actually an unnecessary tension. And this will definitely lead to problems. And this is what you need to learn as a leader, especially when you are a leader in between your team and some higher management with, with playing around with some exosheets somewhere and saying, oh, they can do more. They just type a little number there and everyone is working faster. This is nonsense. And when you do that, especially as a higher management, you just need to realize, and I say this now as CTO, you need to realize that you damage your own company, your own culture, and the people working there. You basically, yeah, you, you drain your own power down, and this is what you shouldn't do. And this is so important, why I think you should go for the average and make... The average is something you can sustain over time. So, for example, in Germany, we have definitely two days off a week. This is the common standard. And we are used to it. And this is good because you have two days where you know that everyone is not coming after you. So you really know Friday evening, your week is ending. And this is very, this, I, I know that this is not everywhere in the world, but this is something which is already going into that direction. You could work seven days. So I do that from time to time. And every time I do that, I realize on Tuesday or Wednesday that ah, I don't have power anymore because there was no weekend. There was no time really with a family. I, I, do notice, I do notice that my attitude towards that is also changing as I get older. So when I was in my early 20s, I was like, hell yeah, bring it on. Like, I can either party and go out and stay up till 5 a.m., take a quick nap and go back to work. Or I can just take the night off and then just work the weekend and mix my passion work with the actual work. And it seemed as if I have an unlimited amount of reserves in my battery in my early 20s. And I got hit very quickly with the realization that, oh, not only is there a sort of diminishing return to how much I can drain from the battery as I keep doing this, but also the battery gets getting weaker as I get older and I <laughs> neglect my physical health and my mental health. Yeah, um, body isn't working that well anymore when you get older. Yeah, and it's not covered by Apple Care, so I can't just get on you. <laughs> okay, just for the last shout out for the audience, because we're getting now into the last quarter of the stream. We have still the topics in front of us, the power of perspective. Maybe it's an interesting part to ask you now, how is the perspective in your workplace? Can you generally say that, that you actually have a good perspective of everything? Do, how do you think about things in your company? How do you see things? Is there a good culture? Is there a supportive culture? So tell us a little bit about your situation that we can, after we've talked about the power of perspective, this is a topic um, of Richard, then we can basically connect that a little bit to your feedback now. So please give us a little bit of insight how you feel in your work environment as a software developer uh, in a positive or negative way. Just give us some hints about that. Okay, and uh, the power of perspective now. One second, I need to press a button now. Okay, Richard, you gave us this topic for the agenda. When do you, this, I think this is quite an interesting topic and we haven't covered that a lot during that stream now. Would you give us a little bit of explanation what you mean by that topic? I think it, it links to being open-minded fundamentally and it probably resonates quite a lot with me because I used to be completely opposite. Like, I'm just like, yeah, this is how it is. This is what it is. If, if it's not that, it's, it's black, it's white, it's this or it's that, it's right or it's wrong. And more often than not, I'm right, you're wrong, basically. <laughs> and I, th I think as I've got older, as I've 
worked on my mindset and studied more around that, I just realized that particularly when we think about specific ways of thinking about one thing, and this kind of delves a little bit into our own beliefs that are quite tightly held and, and maybe long have, have been held for a long time. And we obviously default to those in any given situation of oh, this is how it is. And suddenly recognizing that actually there's so many other different ways of, of looking at this situation and not just realizing that there are so many other different ways, but being open-minded enough to entertain one or two of them or to even try them on, which, which is really interesting. And I, I did it around affirmations. When I first heard about affirmations, I was like, what a load of rubbish. What a load of rubbish that is. And then I had something hit me and it's just like, how can you say that? You've never even tried it. And, it. and I just sort of like paused and stopped myself. I was like, yeah, why are you saying that? You haven't tried it. You don't know anything about that. And so I, I did exactly that. I thought, okay, I think it's a load of rubbish. I'm going to give this a go and let's see what happens. Either I'm right and it's a load of rubbish and I can feel good about myself or I'm wrong and I get quite a lot of benefit from that and it turns out I was wrong but I believe that anyway so it's really interesting that obviously we all end up in all kinds of different situations different environments and every given situation there's always numerous ways to look at it and what's even more powerful than that is that you can choose how you look at it like you can have a, an initial reaction but you can choose to change that if someone says I look at it like this and you can effectively choose to look at it like that as well and potentially feel benefit from that if, you, if you're not feeling benefit from your perspective. And I think that's just super, super powerful. And I think in general, it's, it's one of the big advantages of coaching, having someone who can say, oh, okay, I see that you think about it this way and that makes you feel like this. What if you did it like this? Or what, how would this person in this situation look at that? And then it just opens up possibilities and spawns all kinds of different thoughts and ideas. I, I think it was so I Einstein, think it's super powerful. It was Einstein who said that uh, there is no uh, empirical evidence of, of things are being positive or negative. I think I commented that on some post in uh, the last days. And um, it's basically up to you how, how you decide yeah. things are. And the more it's basically about affirmation and the more things in a positive way the more things you will see in general in a positive way. Yeah. So for example, if you're interested in a new specific type of car, you suddenly see this car everywhere on the street and you say, oh, there's so many cars out there. So actually, it is the same amount. You just, you just affirm it to, to that specific aspect now. And this is the same with your mind. As soon as you see the negative things, negativity everywhere, if you, see the, if you try to see the positive things, you see the positive things. And this will definitely shape your mindset on the longer run. This was actually a good, good presentation of that topic. Really interesting. A really interesting one. Maybe a little, Camilla, I, I just gave a shout out to the audience. We haven't received a comment yet, but maybe do you want to give us a perspective of your side? So you are um, a, a developer yeah. for, for a year now. So yeah. <laughs> what is your idea of the business you are in? <laughs> to be honest, this is going to sound weird, but it's a bit less stressful than what I was doing before. But that is only because I started working on myself. And this time I have to be very honest about this. Like when I was studying biology, I was also studying for the wrong reasons. 
And um, I was very in this hustle mentality and driving and I have to stay in the library till they close and don't do anything besides it. And when I think it backwards, I think at that time and I was like, my friends were partying, having the time of their life. And I could have done a bit of that um, since I'm still not doing anything related to my degree. But still, I was so fixated and I have to be into this hustle mentality about what defines success. Like I was not really striving for, I want to be good at something. I was striving for perfection. And this type of thing is something that really can drive you to just burn out, regardless of what career you have or what you do. Perfection is something that you're never going to arrive because it's very definable for what you think it is. But normally, around what Richard was saying, you have all of these limiting beliefs about the world. If you're fixated about this has to be this way, check it out because this is very limiting. Why does it have to be this way? So you have to go through that list, write everything down and be like, why do I believe this? Why do I think this is like this? Is this actually something that benefits me? Like this belief, is this benefiting for me? Or is this actually something that is keeping me backwards from what I have to do or want to do? So I went to all of that and then I realized I love software development. I want to change careers. My mom almost got a heart attack when I dropped my master's, but that's fine. Yeah, I'm living a great life now. College yeah, dropout yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Like you, you have to go through that. And actually for me as well, I was like, okay, how can I be successful if I don't have a degree? Because for me, that was very limiting and very stressful to think of like, how can you do a career in something that you haven't studied for? You can have a very successful career. As you can see, it is possible. You can do a lot of things, but you have to work on yourself for that. And you have to work on these beliefs. And once you start getting rid of that, implementing what's the definition of well-being for yourself, it gets better. It gets really better. And of course, for me, when I was like transitioning and like changing into software development, of course, I have days that I had to study 10 hours a day. But to be honest, I know I can be very productive for seven hours with breaks in between. And how do I do things Like you have to get to know yourself how much you can do? Of course, we always have this pressure. But I think it's this moment where you have to be honest with yourself and be like, I could work 12 hours. Yeah, I'm going to be productive. No. Okay. Be use use the time wisely because that one or two hours that you're putting extra and just staying there watching the screen, it's not going to bring you to anything. Let's be honest. You're not going to solve that bug. You're not going to do anything productive. You might as well just go for a run or do something else or actually mm -hmm. just run through these type of things and allow yourself to actually have this time for this. So yeah. Good, good. It's, uh, it's interesting on the, on the aspect of the spending time in the library, studying versus partying. Yeah. I found myself on that roller coaster as well. Yeah. especially being self-taught and then now having entrepreneurial tendencies and wanting to build my business. Yeah. It's nothing to do with me wanting to, to party per se, or to, to have fun, but it's a uh, Alex Hormozzi talks a lot and Andrew Huberman as well talk about, about the, just our habits, not serving us in a way where the distraction is a better reward than doing the thing that is important to us. So it is not a sign that we're doing the wrong thing or that we're doing it badly. It's just that I haven't taken the time to set up the process and my mindset towards what I'm working on in such a way that working on it would be rewarding, right? So I, I punish myself for working on it because there is an element of whenever you're doing something that's really important to you, there is an element of agitation and frustration of you getting into the state where you can do that work. That's why it's rewarding because you get a little bit like your bio, you, your chemistry is just giving you a little bit of resistance to get you prepared for the, your optimal challenge. And I fought, I resisted this. A, a lot of my 20s, early, my early career, I resisted this idea. I thought if my body is telling me this, there must be something wrong and I'll do 
thing that's allocated to the distractions first. And I used to work like this. I used to work like, okay, I have this important task I need to attend to. And I was doom scrolling Jira and emails to look for something else <laughs> that I can work on. And then when I'm done with everything, I did that one important thing. And ironically, a lot of software projects go like that. There's one important thing, one difficult, agitating, frustrating thing that, a thing that the team needs to learn in order to overcome, let's say, an optimal challenge for their product. And they're getting distracted with snacks being low effort, low value activities or low effort, no value activities due to bad prioritization or too many different conflicting priorities. And so on the individual level, to not make this too much about DevOps, because we're talking about that tomorrow. On the, on the individual level, what really helped me is to rethink my, to think more like an athlete and make the effort of giving good effort, the rewarding thing, not being done with the activity so that I, I said to myself, oh, I'm going to punish myself for not working out by making myself work out one hour every day, even if I don't, even when I don't feel like it. And then suddenly it's very discipline. And the more tired I got, the, the more energy I needed to stick to with the disciplines. So I, I went back and I said, okay, this is obviously silly. I'm playing a game with myself. So let's find an optimum that is consistent. What can I commit to consistently? And I know that I can commit to every day without fail for 15 minutes of workout. I might not have one hour, especially with the kids, because it gets really hectic. Sometimes. But at least I know that and every day, not, not, not on the days that I feel like it, but every day, seven days of the week, I can work out for 15 minutes guaranteed. And then I'll go over that if I decide that is what I need that day. But it, it's more about that, that, that battery analogy we spoke about earlier. Like I need to know what my optimum is that I can, where I can, and my optimum is where I can show consistency not pushing through it's okay i need all my willpower to work out one hour per day and then tomorrow i'll need more willpower because now not only did i work out but i want to keep the streak and then now i'm playing this game with myself where if i give up once then the next day is even gonna be even harder because the streak it, it, the gamification of it is very dangerous right so the gamification has to be rewarding for consistent effort not for not for getting results results exactly yeah. and it shouldn't be punishing to take a rest from your routine and then return to it like th yeah. that should also have a high reward function so me saying okay today was a more chaotic day than usually and tomorrow i'm going back to my normal system that should be that that should also be rewarding because i see a lot of engineers wanting to catch up oh i wasn't productive tomorrow i need to catch up i wasn't productive today i need to catch up tomorrow and they're then they're then they're stuck in this catch-up mentality it was like oh i'm late and then when they're done, that done is then on time for them. They don't reward themselves because they think they're late. So it's that mindset that's, that sort of skews the perspective of reality. And I also struggle a lot with this because I'm also doing affirmations now, NSDR, so not non-sleep, deep rest. Spend a lot of time with the kids. I, I'm blessed with working from home, so we also cook fresh food <laughs> every day. It, it's, it has a perks and its benefits. The, the other problem is that it's very hard to completely shut off. Yeah. Like for me, that has always been something that has been in the way with, let's say, perfect well-being. But it's a, it's always a work in progress. Regarding the agenda, I think we are actually <laughs> through by going, yeah, let's say in alternatives way, in alternatives ways around that one. So I think we covered all of the topics. Mm -hmm. And if there are any more questions, you have some minutes time to still toss them to us. But I would like to wrap this up by giving, first of all, 
Richard had a chance to really talk a little bit about how he can specifically help you with the topics we've just discussed today. Mm -hmm. So he is a coach helping software developers getting along with burnout and of course preventing to get into the burnout uh, problem, as he said um, several times. So this first of all, and of course, if you all are participants here, if you have some stuff you can pass to the audience as a recommendation how to handle stress because for example some people might think yes but i want to hustle a bit so how, how can i be productive and do some stuff because for example entrepreneurs are often like this but mm. how can i prevent to to not step over the wrong line let's say so maybe something like this so um, think about that and uh, so richard how can you actually contact you what is the best way to get in touch with you um yeah so linkedin I, i'm always on linkedin um but I also have a website, which is rdcoached.com. And on, on there, actually, you'll find a well-being hub, which has got a, a bunch of free resources on it. Some of the things we've talked about today, actually. So I've wrote my own version of the Pomodoro. So you can add tasks and breaks and define your own sort of length of time for your task and your own length of time for your break. and. You can stack them up and have focus music and that kind of thing. There's a tool on there to help you define your own personal values, which I think are super important in burnout because when we're when things are conflicting with our values, that kind of send us down that path. And if you're not clear on your own values, it's difficult to know that's happening, right? Camilla mentioned about the physical side and getting in touch with your nervous system and that sort of a fight or flight response that and Andrew Huberman actually so listen to Andrew Huberman and also reading breath by James Nestor I think um, oh yeah Great that, I, yeah that actually encouraged me to create my breathwork simulator which is also in there and that's got like a few presets for for breathing techniques again with some music if you want it so that's pretty cool and Another tool on there is something that I call thought recursion, which is just, it's that situation where you think about something and then you build on it and it gets bigger and bigger. And when that thought is negative, you end up catastrophizing. And so this tool basically allows you to stick a thought in it and it shows you where that could lead in a negative direction. And it takes you down and gets worse and worse to highlight to you look, do you really want to go down this path and maybe think about it another way? And then on the flip side, it shows you actually, here's a bunch of ways that you could think about it in a more positive direction. So that's, I think that's really interesting. If anyone wants to have a play with that stuff, that's awesome. And yeah, you can find details on my website about mindset coaching and that kind of thing as well. That's good. And you both do have some recommendations for the audience. Joe Spencer's book, Coming Supernatural, was, and you're the placebo, really helped me. Because what really resonated with me with was just the practicality of the meditation and the way he describes overcoming resistance, where you're not really fighting your body, you're just working with accepting the resistance, saying, okay, yes, body, I know, like you don't want to sit here and do something else. And you're thinking about a million different pro problems that we should be doing rather than sitting here on the couch and meditating. But I've decided we're meditating now. What we're going to do? Take it from a collaborative approach towards working with your 
impulses, with your responses, with, 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 with your own resistance, rather than fighting it. Because I think a lot of engineers, especially, are more in the fighting mode. So this is wrong. This is, we like, especially, I'm a, I'm a recovering left brainer. I'm, I'm often, when I'm not in my best, I'm often problem-oriented rather than solution-oriented. So I will look for something that's, that can be improved, but mm. which means I'm looking for issues and in a state of, in a sort of default state of trying to figure out, okay, what's wrong, rather than enjoying the moment, right? So becoming supernatural really helped me with that, decouple, decouple the, what I want, what I'm doing right now from bodily impulses. And I think Jordan Peterson's 12, 12 rules for life, I think those are a very good starting point for any kind of, anybody who's lacking a little bit of balance in their lives. My background in life coaching is oriented towards Tony Robbins' work and that adjacent field of coaching. There's a lot of reframing and I have a little triangle there, which I always go to when I say, when I'm having negative thoughts and I, I go and I work out, when I'm having negative emotions, I, I become very mindful about what it is I'm thinking about. And when I'm having just a low energy day, I go and rest, right? But it's never like, you never fix your thoughts by thinking about them differently. You never fix your emotions by emoting differently. And you never fix your energy levels by uh, working differently. Like it, it's usually the there is a cycle that, that, that there's a loop to it. And it's really important to understand that, you know, there's a reason why I get most of my best ideas on a walk, under the shower, or, or working out. It's like when I'm debugging something, the best thing I can do is step away. You know, and that's yeah. the Pomodoro technique there. I think is a very good start. So becoming supernatural, 12 rules for life. And if you don't like reading, what I can recommend is the NSDR. So that's the non-sleep deep rest playlist on Spotify. They're a very good combination of meditation, relaxation, a soft nap, if that's what you need, and a little bit of neural beats for get you in the group, but that's for a focus session for. Uh, we will gather all the links uh, in the end yeah. and put it into yeah. um, the article we just can come in. You have a reason to read the article to get all the <laughs> just uh, pass. Out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Camilla, do we have something? Yeah, from my side, I've actually, this is one technique that I've been using for many years. It's called The Work from Byron Katie. And it's basically a set of different questions about specific belief. You have one belief and you actually ask yourself, is this true? Are you sure that this is 100% true? And then you do inversions of this belief. What this basically does is whatever that you're thinking at the moment or you're feeling at the moment, you define it and you see a different perspective out of this. It's, it's basically what Richard was was explaining, but this is something that can be used for everything in your life. And once you start debugging the limiting beliefs you have in your mind, you don't stop, like you just continue. And this is really great. And this is something that, I mean, of course, besides all the other tips that I believe that have really helped me, and this is something that I just can't stop doing, like you, you have to continue doing in your life. Mm. And yeah, like this is the one thing besides Jody Spencer is amazing. That was a really great recommendation, Dennis. Cool. So I, I would have another one as well which is The War of Art. This is a German version now, so I never read it. I listened to it several times, and it's an entire series of uh, Stephen Pressfield. And in the audiobooks, he speaks or basically narrates them, yeah, those books himself. And I really enjoyed those books because Dennis was already mentioning Tony Robinson, Progress Equals Happiness. And so we're talking about burnout. So burnout is quite the opposite of happiness. And it's as well, the opposite of progress, because it's basically the root cause of burnout is losing control, actually. So you're not in control anymore. And so what can you actually do 
to get into control again. And so this is this book helped me a lot or the series helped me a lot was to uh, find a way to stay in progress. And so overcoming resistance, for example, realizing and understanding resistance is one of the first steps and under, understanding your limits as well. Stephen Pressfield describes something similar, like Richard said, that on some point you need to get to your work, get it done on that day, but then go. And then your work is done. You know, it is, you, you shouldn't start to fight with your work all day long. You should tackle your work full heartedly, you know, do it as good as you can as a pro. And this is basically what his terminology, do it like a pro, become or turn pro, do that, overcome resistance and stay in progress. And this is what then when we take everything together, what we've discussed today, this is all coming down to staying in progress. And this equals happiness, or as I put it often, uh, progress is the foundation of happiness. So if we manage to stay in progress, and this is not uh, always giving 100%, know where, when to recreate, know your limits, talk openly about it, be in an environment where everyone is like that, like-minded, culture, all this kind of stuff. This is all coming together, starting from the individual person. So this is why I really like that book. And this describes the journey of the creative person. And the software developer is a creative person under pressure. And so this is how I can put it now for the theme of the. So this is my recommendation. I'll put it as well. The War of Art. Great book. Okay. I think we have come to an end. It was a great session today. And I have to uh, say thank you to each and every one of you, to everyone in the audience that you have attended uh, in large numbers these day and uh, this day. And yes, uh, we have this type of stream every Wednesday and every Thursday. And we are happy to have you there. We will have different topics, sometimes softer topics, sometimes harder topics, but all revolving around the idea of engineering, culture, software development, and leadership. And this is, yeah, this is an invitation to follow us. There will be articles about that on each of our blogs. There will be LinkedIn posts around that. So follow us. It's easy to do that on LinkedIn. And uh, the idea of those events is that you, as the audience, you that you can participate. It's not like reading posts and commenting on the post, but commenting here, get your feedback, involve yourself. And if you like, and if you're up to that, ask us, ask, sorry, ask us just to get on the show once again as well, if you have some great things to say. So we, we are all about spreading the word, spreading ideas, how to make software development and everything around that topic more efficient and more easy for us so we can enjoy it enjoying being a software developer thank thank you from my side thank you everyone yes any last words of you guys no no great session <laughs> yeah. that was well said thank you for having us and thank you for hosting it Adrian. yeah you're welcome okay great then we are going offline now and uh, have a nice day everyone we will set up some elevator music and see you the next time. Bye bye. Tomorrow, tomorrow, for that. Uh, tomorrow yeah. Very important. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye bye.